HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 31st, 2018. Happy Halloween, everyone. This is the 195th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef and restaurateur who has a new cookbook out, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have soul. Put your character, your history, your traditions, and spirit into everything you do. Be real and let your creativity and passions shine, staying true to your essence. Soulfulness draws people in and makes us feel good. So think soulfully. It's a good way to live. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest calling in. It is Michael Solomonov. He is the co-founder of Cook & Solo Restaurant Partners 
and executive chef and co-owner of Zahav, Philadelphia's pioneering modern Israeli restaurant. Michael also co-owns Philly's Federal Donuts, Dizengoff, Abe Fisher, Goldie, and the philanthropic Rooster Soup Company. Michael is a four-time James Beard Award winner, and that includes Outstanding Chef in 2017 and Best Chef Mid-Atlantic in 2011. He has a new cookbook out, which we'll be talking about, which he co-wrote with his business partner, Stephen Cook, and it's entitled Israeli Soul, Easy, Essential, Delicious. And he's written two other books with Stephen, Federal Donuts and Zahav, and Zahav is those other two James Beard Awards he won, which he received for Best Book of the Year and Best International Cookbook. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> I could go on and on. You have even more accolades than that. but uh... <laughs> I really I really appreciate it. I, it's so funny. I'm not sure what's happening with the connection, but there is like the loudest rap music playing with your voice. Oh, really? <laughs> it sounds like they're... Like Mardi Gras is happening in my living room right now. Okay, so. I think we can work on that. I think that's my, um, oh my show God. music that might be wow. might be playing. Much better. Better? I like it, though. It got me really <laughs> fired up. I was like, man, this is going to be a loud, like, <laughs> show. <laughs> that's that's the new thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Well, uh, well, yeah. Get. Um, I would keep it. I would really, really keep it. I felt like I should start like blow like fireballs out of my mouth or something and running through my living room. <laughs> awesome. um, Too funny. Too funny. Well, I'm so glad much. it got you psyched me. up. <laughs> yeah, I'm super fired up um, and a little disoriented, which is perfect. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm. I'm a big fan of yours and everything you do. I've been to, I've been to almost all your restaurants. So uh, you know, I'm familiar with with your cooking and and uh, I want to start out with the show with going back to how you got started as a chef and and what led you into becoming a restaurateur. Uh, God, that, you know, I started cooking. Because I dropped out of college and I moved back to Israel and I and I had like no skill. I was like a three semester art major with like poor Hebrew, which does not get you very far. Did you get a job in Israel? So I got a job working in a bakery, which um, I feel like is kind of like how we all sort of get started, you know. And uh, maybe not specifically a bakery in Israel, but sort of like falling into cooking and. Uh, you know, I, I fell in love with it. I was, I enjoyed it. I liked the sort of hard work, and I really learned a lot about Israel, um, being sort of an immigrant worker there. And then, um, you know, I went to culinary school in the States and moved to Philly and worked at a couple awesome restaurants here. One was called Striped Bass. And my um, chef and, and mentor, Terrence Fury, was like right out of La Bernadette and really super refined, really intense, and really taught me how to, like, cook and be sort of a great, great wine cook and be responsible and have standards. And then I got a job working at uh, Vetri restaurant and uh, under Mark Vetri, and he, you know, taught me about, um, about sort of, like, having a passion, having identity, and really taking, like, simple, simple sort of under... Um, uh, what do you call it? These sort of like unsung heroes of, in the food world and really making them shine. So with Terrence and, and Mark, I really learned 
learned a skill and a craft, and uh, and then my my partner uh, Steve Cook hired me to be a chef at his restaurant Marigold Kitchen, and that was my first job as like a chef, and that and then we opened up a couple years later, and that was it. That was it, and that was a hub is at the ten year mark. Am I am I right yeah. on that? Which yeah, is incredible. Yeah. May fifth was uh, ten years, which is insane. Yeah, I think, I mean, Zahav, to me, and I think to a lot of people, when you come to Philadelphia, you have to go to Zahav. It's just become that, that must visit. How, how do you think, how do you think that's happened? Or why? Do you have any rhyme or reason? (laughs) I mean, it's really hard to be objective and give you an answer. I mean, it was sort of ingrained into what we do. We love, like, Israel was sort of waiting, I think, to be discovered uh, and, and, and sort of brought over to the U.S. Or I'm not sure what it was. Like, I think that people weren't, they, they, didn't, they didn't accept that Israel had a cuisine or they, you know, couldn't sort of put it all together. And I feel like we were kind of right place, right time for that. And I feel like this is something that we care deeply about, um, sort of emotionally, if not spiritually, and, and it was something that we wanted to make happen. It was something that we, that it was important to us the way that we could, you know, provide a narrative to Israel that maybe people weren't exposed to. And um, and then, you know, I also think the American power, like America wants this, they want new, they want exciting. I feel like Israeli cuisine is sort of like American cuisine. It's all these different things that sort of come together and and, uh, and then it's like very vegetable forward a lot of like primitive cooking methods which I think people are getting excited about sort of postmodernist, you know picking apart dissecting I think there's something really elemental obviously about the way that we cook and we incorporate a hundred different uh, cuisines and, and cultures and gastronomies and it's vegetable forward I mean there's it, you know it's sort of just a matter of time, I think, before somebody, before we, before somebody popularized it, and, and that was kind of our mission. Yeah, well, you accomplished that, I would say. What Thank about, you. when did you, when was, did you find was the right time for you to start opening new restaurants? And, because uh, that, that really changes the game when you go from one to two, and then now you're at six or maybe even more than that <laughs> yeah i mean we're we're at a, at a we have like five federal donuts now so we're probably close to 12 restaurants wow and, um you know i don't know if there's a right time or a wrong i mean you know hindsight is sort of 2020 and i can look back and say well that was a great decision or that was you know we should have waited on that but here we are with all these restaurants and i don't know i, I think that we opened federal donuts shortly after Zahav and it was kind of by accident and that was exciting on day two we were like well maybe we should start opening a few of these you know and and, um, and we've opened restaurants before where we're like man we should not have done that that was absolutely not the right time and how do we not learn our lessons after making so many stupid mistakes but we continue to make very stupid mistakes all the time and I think you have to be okay with that I think with restaurants Oh, you're humble. But what, but when you say by a mistake, I mean, I've been to Federal Donuts and you have the donuts and you have the fried chicken, but it was just, it was just, how did you come up with that concept 
was that? So that was five partners that basically came to dinner. Tommy and Bobby, who were the first to bring uh, fancy coffee to Philly. And then our partner, Felicia D'Ambrosia, who's an amazing food writer and really sort of ingrained in the food world here in Philly. And Steve and I, who owned, um, you know, three restaurants at that point, but we're good friends with Tom and Bob. And we just wanted to, and Felicia, and we just wanted to, we each put in a couple thousand bucks and we were, wanted to open a, do- they wanted to open a donut shop. And we wanted to, uh, I don't know, we were like eating a lot of Korean fried chicken at the time. And that is just coffee, donuts, chicken, you know, so it kind of came out. And there you have it. What about expanding beyond Philadelphia? I know most of your places are in Philly. And I was, I was going to comment before, too. I know you grew up in Pittsburgh. What, what drew you to, to move to Philadelphia? And is that just, is that just where you feel it's, it's home and you're, you're not going to go anywhere for, for? Well, yeah, I mean, so that's a great question. I ended up in Philly sort of after, it was like Pittsburgh, Israel, South Florida for culinary school, and then Philly because it was like kind of on the way to New York and because uh, the girl that I moved here with at the time, um, her brother lives here. And we just, you know, I was like, fell in love with it. Philly's a really charming city. It's really easy. It was really awesome to be here and, and there was such a exciting it was an exciting type of restaurants here too when I moved in 2001 and uh, and that was um, the reason that we got here my partner Steve moved around the same time as well and uh, we just I, I feel like we just sort of watched Philadelphia change and grow and progress you know in, in front of our eyes and in a way you're, you're sort of part of it by living here you know it's a pretty small I mean, it's a large city, but, like, you're, the communities here are sort of tight-knit. So you kind of feel like you're part of part of it. You're part of the ride. Yeah, absolutely. I found I find when I visit, it's just, it's it's more condensed than New York City. Uh, yeah. And, but, the, like, your dining scene is, is really strong now, and, and most of that's yours. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. We're, we're a small, we're a small part of like something really great happening yeah. here in the city. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a little break, and then we're gonna come back and let's talk. We'll talk about your new book that's out, and and all all that jazz. So stay with us. All this right. is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous-Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. 
That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code H-R-N. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michael Solomonov. He's an award-winning chef and the co-owner of Zahav and many other restaurants in Philadelphia. And he has a new cookbook out called Israeli Soul, Easy, Essential, and Delicious, which he co-wrote with his business partner, Stephen Cook. So, so Michael, let's talk about this book, because this is your third book that you've collaborated on. Yeah. I mean, how... How do you find the time, first of all, to write books? <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, so Steve uh, Cook is, he, for Zahav, he had never written anything professionally ever, and he um, tried like a sample, he like a head note, and then a sample chapter, and then a chapter, and then he wrote this book and ended up winning uh, two James Beard Awards, including Book of the Year. So Which we, incredible. So after that, you get super confident. You yeah, know? And, uh-huh. And, uh, and, and that was like super, uh, that was obviously very liberating for us, not only because it's nice to have somebody that isn't just a ghostwriter that, that is very talented, but also, you know, we sort of speak the same, we have the same voice when it comes to these things. And, and we discovered this cuisine and sort of our relationship, we've explored our relationship to Israel, you know, together in a way, in, in many ways. And that, um, that is uh, a great thing. You know, I think it's really authentic. And I think that this sort of idea of us, our, our feet sort of half in, you know, one foot in Israel, one foot in the States is, is important for the reader. So yes. I don't know how we have time to do it. We don't have time to do it. It's a <laughs> well, short you, answer, but you make time. You've managed. So your first, your, your first two books were based on your restaurant concepts. And this one is, is Israeli soul based on Israel. So how did you, how did you do your research and, and why did you decide to do a book that wasn't, that was more in a general, you know, a a cuisine or a concept versus, versus, you know, a physical restaurant? Well, we did the, we did the hog through the restaurant and that was Israeli food and the combination of, the cuisines that make up Israel and my personal history and, you know, the history of the country and so on and so forth. That, but that was through the prism of the restaurant. And, and Israeli soul is us basically just taking that whole team and going to Israel. Um, and that's kind of what we did for that. And, and it was, uh, it was taking the readers through the markets and through the different, um, you know, homes and, and restaurants and all these like little places that make up, an experience eating there and that and and then we shot it all here in Philly and um, and that was you know that was it and I think the reason is because we want people to be able to cook that food and we want them to see the food and breathe the food and taste the food and smell the food and walk through um, walk through Israel you know and uh, but also have it be really accessible very simple and really sort of attainable in your tiny little ill-equipped apartment that you live in in New York, right? <laughs> and I don't mean just you. Yeah, mean no, it's true. Right? It's true. I mean, the, bo- the book is beautiful. It's, it's heavy. It's a big book. Um, and I, lo- 
I love that you have the step-by-step instructions with photos. It it is very user-friendly. And and then the different, I don't know, going through some of the chapters, you have the in the hand with falafel and making pita. I mean, you're, you're sharing all your secrets. <laughs> but um, I actually went, one of, one of my friends had a, a housewarming par- party recently and cooked many dishes from your book, including your five-minute hummus. And, and it's just like, it's smart recipes for, yeah, busy, busy people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and that's kind of that. It. it has to be, you know, the Zahab hummus is, is uh, simple, but, it, you know, it takes a little bit of planning. And this was like, what's the minimal amount of cleaning that we have to do? How quickly can you make this? And instead of, like, having to, like, you know, sort of spoon out tahina into a measuring container to then put into, you know, it's like it, you, you, you end up um, losing half the tahina in a, in a cup container and so on and so forth. We just wanted, you know, to have your jar of tahina, to dump it into a roboku with the right amount of ice water, salt, lemon, yada, yada, and then just be done with it, you know? Yeah, well, it was delicious. I mean, you're, and yeah, I guess, I guess you have the different books now for, for different different people's um, level of uh, how much time they want to spend in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> what about, what about talking about Israeli cuisine versus Middle Eastern cuisine or, uh, I mean, there's. Well, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's sort of one of the misconceptions about Israeli cuisine is that it's like only Middle Eastern or only Jewish or only Mediterranean. Um, it obviously incorporates, uh, you know, it incorporates everything sort of over there. I mean, it, it you know, to say that, that that it's not partially Palestinian is just wrong, right? And to say that it's not um, Yemenite or Moroccan or or a little bit Jewish. I mean, so you've got you've got the Palestinian cuisine and the Levantine cuisine that like the, the Druze had like in the north and the Bedouins that were like in the Galilee, and then you've got um, Gazan cuisine, um, which is very different than what you get. And that, you know, and that was there. And then the, before, like, before Israel, the Ottomans were there, and they obviously spread the most amount of food in the Middle East to the Mediterranean, which is why everybody stuffs grape leaves and uh, kind of makes the same coffee. And then you've got, um, you've got all the, the, the Jews that moved back post-diaspora, uh, you know, that brought with them this diasporic cuisine that wasn't just like food of Yemen, but it was like Jewish food of Yemen, which meant that it wasn't sort of milk and meat mixed. It was, you know, then there was like no pork and shellfish. And then there was also this sort of mandated way to cook on Fridays with the overnight slow cooking in an oven that can't really be messed with. So, um, you know, you've got a lot going on there. Um, and it's a very, there's not really a short way to like describe it, you know, because it's definitely not just Middle Eastern. And it's definitely not um, just, it's definitely not just Jewish and, and whatever that means, right? Yeah. Jews live everywhere. Um, and it's definitely not just Mediterranean. So, I don't know. I'll tell you what's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously, you love cooking Israeli food. Or you're, I mean, or I don't know. Or do you have the desire to open a a French restaurant or, uh, I don't know, uh, go to Chinese no. food. I mean, like, no. are you sticking with, I mean, sticking with your lane? I think that when things, when, 
when the ish hits the fan in restaurants, which happens all the time, having a connection and a belief and part of your identity and what it is that you do makes it really hard for it to fail. Not to say that it won't, but like, you know, this is something I believe in and this is like my life's work, not just the restaurants, but something greater. You know, we use the restaurants for this mission and I, and, and in addition to like loving the food, being um, genuinely interested all the time in it, I'm really loving like restaurants and being a chef and my team. I'm also connected and this is part of who I am mm-hmm. and this is part of like my, my mission, you know, and, and sometimes it runs deeper than the sort of superficial reasons why we get into like our careers, you know, and I, I, so far that's what's worked for us, you know, and it might really deviate a little bit. Uh, it, 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 the, the effects aren't quite the same. Like the consumer, I think, the guest, the diner can taste whether you sort of put your heart and soul into what it is that you do, in my opinion. I agree. And that was that was a great answer. So let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 194. I had on Chandra Ram. She's a cookbook mm-hmm. author and editor of Plate Magazine. And yep. um, and she talked in the show about how she she had a layover in in Philadelphia and she ran into the city and, and went to Zahav and, <laughs> and sat at the bar and had a great meal and the, uh, recently. So um, she's a big fan. So she wants to know, what do you want to do in the future as a chef and restaurateur? More mentorship and staff development or more in the kitchen and cooking? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, right now, what makes me the happiest is working in Zahav. That's what I, I enjoy doing. We have a staff of 250 people, so it's not something I can do as much as I want to do, but it is what, um, kind of what I have to do, you know? Um, so I, I think the more, the more we do, the more I want to just work at the hub, but yeah. it's unreasonable. We have big plans. I want to use this cuisine as, to, as form. I want to, I, we are diplomats, you know, and I want to create something bigger and I want to facilitate a conversation that I don't believe is happening with traditional forms of diplomacy. And that unfortunately means that I can't like chop every onion or I can't make every loaf of lava. I used to do that basically. If you, for the first six years of the restaurant, mom, like Monday through Saturday, I would basically make every piece of waffle that like went out, you know, and um, I can't do that anymore. I'm still going to go in actually after this interview, I'm going to go in and I work a bread oven as much as I can. Uh, but it's unfortunately like my time is like a little bit too valuable to do that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I wish I could answer that more clearly. And I wish sometimes I could just make bread, but we have a lot, a lot to do, a lot of goals, you know, yeah, no, you you answered that well, and we'll. Um, I look forward to seeing what what transpires over the next couple of years with your your big yeah. plans. <laughs> so yeah, I know, I know, I know. I I can only imagine. <laughs> so um, okay, let's take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we'll play my speed round game, and we'll talk some industry news. This is only industry on Heritage Radio Network.
This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Michael Solomonov. So it is time for my speed round game. So, Michael, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple of things, giving you a preference, uh, a choice, and you pick your preference, such as okay. chocolate or vanilla. That's my sample. <laughs> so, You're like, one of, right, either chocolate or vanilla will answer the rest of the questions. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I'm ready. Here I go. Or here we go. Eat in or eat out? Vanilla. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Uh, mocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Mm, a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Pats or Geno's? Pats. Good to know. Mayonnaise or mustard? Mustard. <laughs> I read that somewhere. I'm scared of mayonnaise. <laughs> okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Uh, dessert. Ugh, it's hard, though. That's a tricky one. I've stumped you. Uh, finally, cheese plate or dessert yeah. got you. Well, you can have both. <laughs> yeah, thank you. thank you for that. You're welcome. Last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia. Oh, come on! You know the answer, Philly. Go oh, Philly. Yeah, that was an. That was figured. That was an easy one for you, but no offense yeah. to Brooklyn and Manhattan. So that was the game. You were fast. Um, thank you. And I'm taking note of where to get a cheesesteak next time I'm, I'm in Philly. Um, yeah. you, you know, when I was there, I was there once I did both of those, Pats and Geno's at the same time, like to compare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was excessive, but hey. Which oh, one did you like better? I liked Pats better. I went with Yeah. Pat. Yeah. So, but uh, it is subjective. So, okay. So industry news, I saw a story on The Guardian entitled The Chefs Who Are Closing for Dinner to Pursue a Healthier Life. Sub- and the, the byline was, uh, restaurant culture has long been defined by aggression and long hours and mental and physical breakdowns, but a new generation of chefs are breaking the mold. And this is by Tony Naylor. So I saw this and I, I thought it was a good article to talk about, especially, you know, with you as a chef and, and just seeing, I mean, this is, this is something, you know, the work-lifestyle balance and, and trying to cut back hours so you can have more of a life and a healthier lifestyle. And this restaurant they were talking about in particular was in Edinburgh in, in England. And it was talking about a restaurant called Azel, which the chef is going to doing four days a week of open for business. And I'm just thinking that sounds lovely, but I don't know any restaurants in Manhattan that can survive just being open four days a week. So I think it's, I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough situation, even though it's, this is a, 
you know, something, of course, I think would be great if everyone could do. But I don't know what, what was your, what's your take? To me, it's less about like the days or hours that you're open. It's really about, um, I mean, the hours, like everybody has to, there's a limit to the amount that people can work, right? And um, so it's less about that. Maybe it's just for the chef's lifestyle. I guess I think about the whole team. And it's a little bit hard. You know, sustainability means a lot of things. There's obviously the environmental and ecological. There's the um, the uh, financial sustainability, which is, like, important. At the end of the day, this is sort of business. So you can be open four days a week and still employ people and, like, take a paycheck or whatever, then great, by all means, do it. But, like, you know, that's a – it only works if it kind of works, you know. So I, I think that that – any model, as long as the people that are operating with it are, like, covered, you know, then sure, do it. Four days would be great. That would be amazing, you know. But um, I think that for us, it's, you know, there, there was a time where to be a chef meant you worked every day and you, like, didn't have a good, you know. For me, it's always, like, I, I don't understand how the old school people did it because I don't, they don't, like, how do you have kids? Do you not see your kids? Is that how it works? I suppose... You know, my dad and my kid, that generation, they just kind of worked all the time. And that was the way that it, kind of the way it was, you know? But I, I think that that, to me, is the hard part, is that you can't really have, like, a family or participate the way that I would want to if you are working all the time. And we've got, you know, there's definitely a certain amount of sacrifice that you make. I mean, nights and weekends kind of suck, but you can do a lot you know, within those parameters. And there are daytime hours that are like most people don't really have that you can kind of sneak, which are great. Um, but I, I think that in general, I think people are are trying to advocate for a, health, a healthier quality of life. And that means, um, you know, for me at least, it's being like sober and clean and sort of promoting that within our organization or, or, or even larger. Um, that means fair pay. That means a good quality of, uh, like, a good environment that you can work in, that you're not susceptible to things like harassment, uh, bigotry, bias, any of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, and then after that, it's, like, making sure that the restaurant can, like, you know, make money and, and, and pay everybody <laughs> or pay the owners, you know, which is also helpful. Yeah, I I I agree with all that. I think it used to be... I don't know. It was it it being a chef or working in in restaurants. I think it was more about the the partying or the um, just the 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 grind of it. Where now I feel people are are seeking wellness and looking to take care of themselves and their their staffs more. I think it's a good. I don't. I hate to say a trend, but I think it's a it's a good way to be living and and having and you're right like I don't know when you're working all those hours how you do have a family and um, see your kids but um, I'm I'm also a a proponent of of sobriety and and someone who's 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 been who hasn't had a drink in a long time and I I support the the wellness and the lifestyle as well because I have I worked in restaurants a long time ago and I remember the hours and the the, it was just, it was like all, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. It's a hard industry. So I think whatever uh, we could 
or restaurateurs can do to create a healthful and work environment. And if it is cutting back hours or just supporting people, um, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, that was that article. And, um, the other article I just had was yesterday from, uh, it was, the words were in Bogota, (laughs) Colombia, but is the Latin America's 50 best restaurants, 2018 were announced. And, uh, this is San Pellegrino and Aqua Pana's uh, award ceremony. And so uh, just give a shout out to Mido and Lima, Peru, still the number yeah. one spot. <laughs> I've been there. One? Have you been there? Wait a minute. Wait. Did they get what number? Did number one. Number one. Oh, unbelievable. unbelievable. I love it, that place. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. They're awesome. And they, um, we got to hang out together, which was great, you know, and cook together. And it is, uh, yeah, what an amazing, what an amazing thing. Super happy for them. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, Matsuharu Sumura, if I'm saying yeah. his name right. Um, and he's, he's a sweetheart. I, you know, I'm he's so the best. really happy for them. So um, congratulations to everyone on the list. And uh, people can go check it out, the World's 50 best and this is the latin america edition okay so we're gonna take one more break and come back i have my solo dining experience and then we'll ask michael for the final question so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network We're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Mission Chinese Food in Brooklyn. Here's the rundown. The location, 599 Johnson Avenue, Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York City. The concept. It's the second New York location of this cult favorite Szechuan-inspired restaurant that started in San Francisco's Mission District. The chef and owner, Danny Bowen, He's the star of season six of The Mind of the Chef on PBS. So why did I go? Well, I was in Bushwick and I was curious about this new spot. So my experience. So last week after my show, I took a walk over there. It was about 15 minutes by foot from where I am at Roberta's to get to Mission Chinese Food in Bushwick. Uh, I was there on the earlier side. It wasn't that busy yet, but I sat at the bar and I was very well taken care of by the staff. So what did I get? I had the Kung Pao pastrami with home fries, explosive chili and peanuts. And also they sent me out some white rice on the side. So my take, it was quite delicious. Really enjoyed it. And I, I really didn't find it super spicy. I was kind of, you know, not directly eating all the chilies on it, but um, it was it was delicious. So the ambiance, it's an industrial design with lighting that alternates shades of neon from green to blue to purple and it has floor-to-ceiling windows facing the street and it to me it felt a bit like a club it's perfect for spicy chinese food cravings interesting tidbit so since my visit eater dot 
Eater New York or Eater.com. They wrote this whole article calling out a dish they have on the menu called Iced Szechuan Water Pickles that costs $8. And there's this big story about that it's it's ice that they're charging $8 for. And so in, in a follow-up article, there was Danny explained that it's a bowl of Napa cabbage, radish, and hibiscus fermented in water and salt brine, served with pickling liquid and topped with pebble ice with a tingling chili oil and aloe salt. So it's more than ice, but anyways, if you want to go to Eater, you could see there's lots of people giving their opinions about this, these water pickles, which I did not have, so I do not have opinion about it. Personal fun fact, uh, I had dined at Mission Chinese on the Lower East Side with a friend a couple years ago, and we had the mouth-numbing mapo tofu amongst other dishes, and I still remember how my mouth just went completely numb eating that dish. It was uh, very, very spicy. So the cost was of this meal was $19. That's not including tax or gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. I'd probably go to the Lower East Side location, though, instead of Bushwick, because I, w- I actually wasn't crazy about all the neon, but it is it is like a club if you if you want to eat in that sort of play- environment. Okay, the website's missionchinesefood.com. So, uh, Michael, have you, have you ever been to a Mission Chinese restaurant? Yeah, we went to the one in San Francisco. Awesome. Oh, cool. I haven't been to that one. And what, what's the ambiance there? Uh, it's like an old Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So all three places are very different. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Danny Bong is like amazing. I mean, he's a sort of a personal hero of mine. I don't think we've ever met. Or maybe we have like some event or something like that. But all of our team goes, like we all go to New York and his places and vice versa. So yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, he is a great chef. And he's done yeah. well. Okay, so the final question, I'm going to ask you to ask a question for my next guest. So next okay. week, I'm having on J.D. Hilburn. He is a private chef. He was formerly, he was a chef de cuisine at Danube, which is uh, one of David Boulay's restaurants. And um, he's now a private chef for um, Abby, or I don't know if he says, I think he says Abby Rosen. Um, yep. And and Abby is a, a huge real estate investor who has multiple properties and, and restaurants in New York and around the world. So um, what would you like to ask J.D.? Well, so Abby Rosen just opened a place uh, with the... Um, the major food like group? The, the major food group in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Oh, right. I so did. I'd like to ask him if there's any way that they want to maybe open another restaurant in a boutique hotel in Israel. And if they are maybe looking for a chef, wink, wink. <laughs> I'll find out. I don't know. If right. JD, JD can give us the scoop. Um, okay. He's been, yeah, he's been, he's been a private chef um, for Abby for a long time. Uh, I forget. I'll find out how long, but it's, it's many, many years. So. Okay. I will, I will find out. And thank you so much. That is the show. And I thank am, you for having me. I, I I wish we had more time to talk and get into all of your restaurants and 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 then find out more about what is in the future. But um, I'll I'll stay tuned. And I just want to say congratulations on everything you've accomplished. It's very impressive, and I, I wish you the best. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. And I will see you in Philly. Okay. Yeah, I'm due for a trip, and let me know when you're in New York. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you. So my guest today has been Michael Selimnoff. He's the co-founder of Cook and Solo Restaurant Partners. He is an award-winning chef. He's the co-owner of Zahav, Abe Fisher, Federal Donuts, Dizengoff, The Rooster, and Goldie. He's the co-author of Israeli Soul, Easy Delicious, Easy Essential Delicious with Stephen Cook, as well as Federal Donuts and Zahav. And you can find his book. It's in local bookstores. It's on Amazon. And go to his website. Uh, the main one is cookandsolo.com. And you can follow him on Instagram at Mike Solomonov. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Websites BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I would like to thank my engineer today, Noam, and again, thanks to Michael and to his book publicist, Carrie Bachman, who helped set things up. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you will tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. On the top of the hill, you see heaven. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.